Welcome everyone. I'm Amy Antonucci. Glad to be here for our True Tales Live Zoom show on September 27th, 2022. Thanks to everyone who are watching, everyone listening, and especially those here in our live online audience. Welcome. We're so glad to see you back after our summer hiatus. Our mission at True Tales Live is to provide a space for people to tell their first person experience stories. Stories that reflect our community's personal and cultural diversity and help us to bridge differences, hear each other, build understanding and respect for all. So we are so happy to be here with you even on Zoom. And we do have some suggestions to have you help us make this a great experience online. We really believe that storytelling is an exchange between tellers and listeners, and here are ways that you can help us keep that, that part going. If you do have your video on, which we love when you do, you can have big physical reactions to connect with the rest of the audience and the tellers. Um, for instance here, join me in cheering on a teller you can also express reactions in the chat box which we save and share later with our tellers and they love it also put questions that occur to you for the tellers in the chat after the stories we usually have enough time to do a few rounds of q a and i will pull from the chat for that tonight's show does not have a particular theme we will hear stories from kamisha foley beverly schwartz and Tina Charpentier, followed by a little Q&A with the tellers and a short interview um, by David Frainer of Beverly. Pat Spalding is our MC for the rest of the show. Join me in welcoming Pat. Yay, Pat. Hello, thanks, Amy. Hello, everybody. It is my pleasure tonight to introduce our first storyteller, Kamisha Foley lives in York, Maine with her husband, Brian, and their not-so-friendly feline, Fiona. Great name for a cat. A member of the Northeast Storytellers, Kamisha recently co-authored her sixth book with David Poole, this one titled 76 Secrets to Living a Life of Excellence. <laughs> yes. Kamisha believes that storytelling is the energy, ingredient, medicine that we all need to share to allow ourselves to connect with each other. A frequent participant in True Tales Live, both as a teller and as a volunteer, tonight she'll be the teller sharing a story from a child's point of view about being brought up in the Catholic religion to which I can identify. Certain parts of the mass drew her in, left her in awe, and made her want to be part of it all. Hmm, let's find out more in Kamisha's story, Angel Bells. Come on up, Kamisha. Thank you. There we were, all five Foley children, from oldest to youngest, me being the youngest, at the bottom of the stairs in our house, right in front of the front door, all bundled up and ready to go to mass. My dad came over and gave my oldest brother, Stephen, the dollar and 50 cents, put in the collection basket and reminded him not to lose it. We were all in order, like I said, Steve, Bill, Mark, 
Nidra Kamisha. But my oldest brother, Stephen, was in charge of walking us to Mass every single Sunday. Unless, of course, he and my brother, Bill, were acting as altar boys and helping the priest at the service that day. It was 1.1 miles to church. And it was one of my favorite things to be with my brothers and my sister every Sunday morning. And it wasn't until I was a little bit older that we got to move down towards the front because I could sit still and really pay attention to the mass. St. Stephen's was a new parish, maybe five or six years old, and it had clean wooden pews, but more importantly, it had a very scary crucifix. It was suspended from the ceiling, kind of like Max in Stranger Things, season four. That was a little frightening, but the best thing was they had brand new kneelers, and the kneelers were padded in red velvet. I thought that that was very extravagant. But like I said, I finally settled down and got to watch Mass and really understand it. And one day I was daydreaming during Mass. Oh, my mom and dad couldn't go with us. My dad married outside the Catholic faith. Therefore, he was pretty much shunned, not only by his parents, but by pretty much the whole Catholic community in our neighborhood. Whether there was a real rule about him or not attending, I'm not sure. But he never came with us to Mass. And of course, my mom was the person he married outside the Catholic Church. So she didn't come. My dad's mom, straight over from Ireland, made sure we were raised in the Catholic faith. There we were at Mass every Sunday, the five kids. And finally, down near the front, on the kneeler, during the most quiet part of the service, I suddenly caught the gleam of the side of the altar boy, and he had something gold in his hand. Oh, he raised it up, and it was four brass bells, all molded together, soldered with a handle up to the top, kind of like a relish dish. But in the most sacred part of the Mass, the priest would look at him, nod his head. Father Lawrence was pretty fun. But he looked very serious right now. And the boy rang the bell. Suddenly, I thought to myself, oh, he's calling the angels down from heaven to join us for mass. That has to be it. I couldn't have been more than five or six years old when this thought occurred to me. That has to be what it is. They looked so serious and solemn with their bells, but the bells were so beautiful. And I wanted to ring them. I wonder how I can ring them. As soon as mass was over that day, we started to walk home. I turned to my oldest brother, Stephen, because he held my hand as we walked home. And I said, I want to ring the angel bells. Can I ring the angel bells? He said, what are you talking about, Red? I said, you know, the bells they ring during mass. Those aren't angel bells. Those are altar bells. And only boys can be on the altar. You can't be on the altar. Why not? Because those are the rules. That didn't seem fair to me at all. As <laughs> soon as we got home, I went straight to my dad. And I said, Daddy, I want to ring the angel bells. He said, Fred, what are you talking about? Daddy, you know the bells during church. <sighs> he said, those are altar bells, and they're rung by altar boys. You cannot ring the bells during Mass. 
<clears throat> didn't seem fair. The next time I saw my Nana, who was the holiest of holies in our family, because she came straight from Ireland, and you didn't mess with Nana Foley. Besides, she played the organ at her church at St. George's in Somerville. I said, Nana, I want to ring the angel bells. Kamisha, what are you talking about? Nana, I want to ring the angel bells at church. She looked very sternly at me, said, are you talking about the bells that are rung during the Eucharistic prayer? The most serious part of the mass? Yeah, Nana, you know, the angel bells. This is no joke, Kamisha. Those are not angel bells. Those are altar, altar bells, and they're very serious, and only very serious people get to use it, and it's only boys. You'll see there are no women on the altar ever. I didn't like that one bit. I began my plot to figure out how I was going to get to ring angel bells. Hmm. Every opportunity I got. I saw a priest. I saw a deacon. I saw one of the sisters. I would ask them, how can I get to ring the angel bells? How come I can't get to ring the angel bells? I didn't really understand the significance of their part of the service. I just knew that they were beautiful and they were gold. And when the all the boys rang them, it sounded so beautiful in church. And then they would muffle them on the pew kneeler. I thought it was the most beautiful thing I ever saw. I wanted to ring the angel bells, darn it. Wouldn't you know, time passed. I kind of let it go for a little bit. And then after my first communion, I heard a rumor they were going to let girls try out. I was so excited. I told my Nana right away. She signed me right up. She said, you will better take this seriously because this is no joke. This is not just about ringing the bells. You better pay attention to Father Lawrence during Mass. Yes, Nana. I did all the classes. I raced through them. I was so ready. You know, at Sunday Mass, there were two angel bell ringers, one on each side of the altar, so I knew my odds were pretty good. But weekday Masses, those were really early, and there was only one. My brother Stephen said, Brad, you're going to regret this, because if you get stuck with a weekday Mass, you're going to have to get up really early, and you're going to be really miserable. I said, I don't care. I'm going to get to ring the angel bells. He said, suit yourself. The day came. I finally got accepted to do an altar girl. Yay. Oh, oh, it's weekday. Nobody's going to be there. Nobody goes to weekday mass except for the really, really, really old people. Oh, all right. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to be excited about it anyways. I went behind the altar that morning and my father had dropped me off because he couldn't come in. I said, you sure, Dad? He said, Red, go. You're going to be late. I went in behind the altar, got my robe, my vestment. I looked at Father Lawrence, and he said, look at me during the Mass. Don't look away. I will tell you when to ring the bell, and I will tell you when to put it down. Three times. Okay, Father. Well, got to that very part of the service. I was very excited. There was hardly anybody there, and it was dark anyways. I couldn't see who was at Mass. Father Lawrence nodded. I rang the angel bell oh so lightly, and he nodded at me to put it down. So I put it on the pew kneeler very quietly and carefully, as if it were the most precious piece of china. All of a sudden, 
I heard snoring. Who is snoring at church? I hear Father Lawrence. I'm supposed to ring the bell. Ring the bell, ring the bell. Put it down, put it down. I hear snoring again. I look around and all of a sudden out of the corner of my eye, I catch a picture of my father. He has snuck into the church in the second pew. There to support me, cheer me on as an altar girl so that I can ring my angel bells. But he is sound asleep with his head slumped over, snoring his little heart out. I felt so bad for him. But then I knew angel bells were really angel bells, not altar bells, because they brought my daddy into church to see me. Oh, that was beautiful. (laughs) Um, I just love being transported back to my little Catholic childhood and all the magic that was part of the mass. And I mean, from the kid's point of view, it was magic. And um, you you brought all that back with the angel bells. That's a, a really fun story. I can picture myself in the little outfits and, you know, Easter and all the all the belief of childhood. Thank you, Kamisha. <laughs> Loved it. <laughs> All right. I guess we're going to go on to our next teller, storyteller. Woo, I'm going to have to put my glasses on because I didn't um, commit this all to memory. Beverly Schwartz is a retired teacher from Troy, New York, who coined and created the first STEM program in the United States. You probably have heard of that STEM, S-T-E-M is an acronym for science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. It's an innovative educational program. In 1990, Bev won the Krista McAuliffe Award for this hands-on science program, which is now used worldwide. Pretty good, huh? Since her retirement, she has taken up storytelling, sharing personal tales about her classroom experiences and daily true life adventures. The topic of her story tonight is captured in its title, which is Saying Goodbye. Come on up, Bev. Good evening, everyone. Thank you for coming. We all enjoyed your first, the first story. It was, had me laughing in stitches. Thank you. Saying Goodbye. In life, there are moments in time one can revisit. They're like little snapshots in one's memory. Now, the whole world has been watching TV, looking at the war in Ukraine. But there's one moment that sticks out to me that breaks my heart every time I see it. The women, children, elderly in the trains, putting their hands on the glass windows. And then the husbands, fathers and sons, and those that are staying behind, putting their hands on the windowsill, though they can't touch each other, they are touching each other to say goodbye, never knowing that they will ever see each other again alive. My parents were the, in, one with my father, Eddie Schwartz, lived in Pittsfield. My mother, Rebecca Shearer, lived in Albany, and they both had the love of dancing. And when they were single on a Saturday night, they'd go to the Ukraine hall 
where the Ukraine live band would play all the music that was being played at the time also in Ukraine. And my parents just loved it because their parents and their parents before them were all born in the Ukraine area. And they had migrated over to the U.S. And they were the first American born of the whole future family of Schwartz's. They danced the night away and fell in love and they got married. And they had three children, myself, brother Paul, and then Bruce. And they did a great job raising us. And I was the first one in the whole history of the whole family going back generations to ever graduate college. We grew up having a great time. When I was a baby, though, I was a crier. I wouldn't stop crying. And I became daddy's girl. My mother would say, Annie, come and get Bev. She's driving me crazy. She won't stop crying. And he'd take me in his arms and I'd start laughing and stop crying. And my mother would look at him in amazement. When I got a little older, he'd put me on his lap and he'd jump me up and down and say, I love you, a bushel in the peck, a bushel in the peck, and a hug around the neck. And we'd go, mwah, 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 mwah. and then when we got a little older, my parents wanted us to have the love of dancing like in Ukraine. So they'd put on a record player. I'd just be with my father, my brother Paul with my mother, my brother Bruce with our German Shepherd Collie dog. And the music would play and we were taught how to dance. And we would dance every evening after my father came home from work. Well, believe it or not, all of a sudden, 39 years had passed. And my parents decided it was time to retire. Well, they invited us for dinner one night and sat us down and said, guess what? We sold our house last month and now we're going to move to Florida. We got a house down there. We looked at an amazement and they said, let us know what you want. Otherwise, we're going to sell it or take it. And the screen right behind me is what I asked for, which was my grandfather's screen, which they had inherited. And now I have behind me. Well, they, I said, we, are we going to at least see you sometime up here? Yes. We're going to rotate around. We're going to live in Florida in the winter, go to Bev's house spring and summer, and in the fall, visit my brother in Texas who had all the grandkids. And then they start the circle over again. And that's what they did for about 10 years until one morning, my father called and said, Mommy's in the hospital. They're going to have to give her a chemo treatment. And I said, well, give me a few days and I'll fly right down and help you and mom. He said, oh, I'd appreciate it. But for that next morning, the phone rang. Hi, daddy, what's wrong? Mommy died last night. I was devastated, not only over her death, but I had never been, had an opportunity to say goodbye. Well, my father, he was a very strong man, and he started rotating around like my mom did. But when he was in Florida, he had his dance card, and all the ladies loved him. And he would go to these dances, and he'd, he'd sign up on his card, and he'd dance the night away with all these different women. He had a ball. It was about five years later when my father came up, and he said, my best friend, Eddie, uh, my father said, Eddie, his, his friend's name, um, you know, he said his friend's name to me, Harry. And he said, 
I'd like to have him come up and drive over. Now, th these two men are 80 years old from Massachusetts. We want to go visit my parents' graveyard. So I said, okay. So here he drove over and we got lost to find his gravesite, flagged down a policeman. Hey, um, you know, where, where's this graveyard? And we followed the policeman and we got there. And to this day, I have a picture of my father, big smile, standing next to his parents' gravesite. Well, I had noticed my father wasn't doing well. He was getting thin, tiring out easily. So what I did was I made some appointments at a doctor's to see what was wrong. And they said, we need to do some tests to verify things. But it was almost time to go to Texas. So I called my brother and I said, this is the situation. He goes, I'll take care of it when he gets down here. And he did. A few weeks after the tests were done, my brother called me and he said, Bev, we have the test results. And there was silence. And I said, what's wrong? Dad has cancer and it's terminal. He's refusing all treatment. Oh, I was speechless. I said, look it, in a week, I have a week off from school. I'm coming down. He said, fine. I said, I never got to say goodbye to mom. I want that opportunity this time. So I flew down and I packed some things for him that I knew he would enjoy. And off I went. And you know what? I had the best week of my life. I had packed up the family photos. My mother had made sure that my father knew to give them to me as the bearer of all the memories of our family and families before I took them out and every day and night we looked and she said, oh, dear, what's that person? Oh, that's your grandmother. That's your great grandfather. And I learned all about the stories of my whole family. It was like it was like a TV show being presented to me. And then we made sure at night we found TV shows with music and dancing. And the, the night that dancing was the stars was on. We decided to participate and see if we could win. And we danced and sang every single song and Dancing with the Stars. And guess what? We won that night, Dancing with the Stars. And the last thing that I remember that week, which barely meant to me, is he said, could you make your mama's noodle kugel? I missed the smell of it. So we got all the ingredients one night, you know, afternoon, and we cooked it. And we could smell it throughout the whole kitchen and living room. No, when it was finally done, we took it out. And my father says, do you think we can have a little sample? And I said, oh, yes, of course. And we went to sample it. Blech, it was tasted horrible. I forgot, I didn't put enough sugar in. We threw it away. We didn't say a word. Nobody asked where it was because you could still smell it as you came in the house. But no one asked. They figured it out. But finally, the week was over. It was time to say goodbye. How do you say goodbye to someone you love that you will maybe never see again in your life, that you love more than anything in your heart? We never talked about his illness all week long. We hugged and we kissed. My brother said, I'm taking your stuff out. I'll load the car and hurry up to the car. And we hugged and the kiss and I started having some tears and he had some tears and we hugged again and beep, beep, beep went the horn. Come on, we're going to miss the plane. Hurry up. Doesn't my brother realize, we both rolled our eyes, that we were saying goodbye probably forever. 
Beep, 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 went the horn. Sit down. You know, Bruce, I have to go. He's having a nervous breakdown here. He said, yes, I know. And we gave one last hug. And I walked and I was halfway to the car. And then all of my fa- sudden, my father started shouting, Bevy, turn around, Bevy, turn around. I turned around. I thought maybe something was wrong with him. Bevy, I love you. A bushel in the peck, a bushel in the peck, and a hug around the neck. And he threw me a kiss. And I threw him, and we both caught our kisses. Turned around, I got in the car, and I looked as long as I could look at my father until I couldn't see him anymore. Jimi Hendrix was a folk singer in the 60s. And he had a quote that he wrote that I think sums up everything I've talked about today. When the power of love overcomes the love of power, the world will know peace. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks, Bev. Yeah, I, um, I really identified with your dad and dancing. Um, I, my parents and my father in particular uh, danced through my whole childhood and they danced as a couple when they were adults. And I remember um, in one song, shrimp boats are coming, there's dancing tonight. That was kind of a, of the era. And you're, I love you, a bushel and a peck. That was a, this same thing. And then uh, at the end of my dad's life, we watched Dancing with the Stars. So uh, thank you for the memories. <laughs> Brought me right back to my dad. Um, mm-hmm. I'm sure many others felt the same. Thank you, Bev. Thank you. All righty then. We have another storyteller for you, folks. Coming right up, we have Tina Schapentier from Dover, New Hampshire. She's one of our favorite storytellers, as well as being one of our True Tales Live board members. And after growing up in Kittery Point, Maine, she, tells, she has lived in the seacoast most of her life. And um, Tina's love of traveling and visiting new places started her um, with her first ever flight to a small island nation of Bahrain in the Persian Gulf. She says the Middle Eastern environment and culture were a lot to get used to, especially when you come from a lush green coast of Maine. In the foreign land of Bahrain, far from home, Tina found herself kind of lonely and wishing for a friend. So let's find out more in her story, Nutty Buddy. (laughs) Come on up, Tina. Thanks, Pat. So it's 1981, and I'm on the plane for the first time, moving to another country where I won't know anyone but my then-Navy husband, Al. I did start feeling lonely. I mean, all of a sudden, there I was in Bahrain, a small island uh, in the Persian Gulf. And we were there because Al was stationed there in the Navy, and the whole culture was so different for me. I mean, a kid from Kittery Point, Maine, I had never traveled anywhere before. This was my first flight, and now here I am in the Middle East, and everything's so different for me. The clothes, the people, the landscape, the heat. Wow, is it hot, 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 and humid. 
And the Bahrain men, they wear customary Arab type clothing, you know, they wear a thobe and a headpiece of guthra. And the women wear abayas, the long gown-like coverings and scarves. Well, we weren't required to wear those there, thankfully, but we did have to dress respectfully, which was a challenge for me right away because my suitcase was misdirected and went on to Hong Kong. So those first few weeks were kind of tough. I mean, I borrowed a few clothes from some of the guys and I did manage to buy some underwear from a passing donkey cart salesman, thankfully. And uh, so Al's best friend, Bosco, was engaged to Brenda, who was still back in the States, in Arkansas. And Brenda was going to arrive in a couple of weeks to be married to Bosco right there in Bahrain. And Al would be Bosco's best man. And I was going to stand by Brenda, even though I'd never met her. I mean, let's face it, we're going to have to hang around together since the guys did. And you know what? We were instant friends. Brenda was friendly, easygoing, had a caring, gentle way about her. I mean, she was willing to go do stuff, too, which was a pleasant change for me since up to then I had no one to hang around with. And then there was all these guys. Story of my life, really. My friends were all boys growing up. But now I'd even left them behind back in Maine. Well, Brenda and I also had in common the fact that we both left the only place we knew as home. I mean, to be in this very different place. So, you know, I showed her around because after all, I'd already been there a couple of weeks, right? I had all this experience and everything. Well, really, I had explored the one local shop in Jew Fair and learned the money. But we continued learning the lay of the land together. She was a great companion and willing to go on adventures with me. For example, we belonged to the Navy Wives Club. That might not seem like much of an adventure, but wait a second. There were only about 10 of us women there because, well, the American population in general was only about 60 people, including wives and kids. So, and there were some high-ranking wives in the club, people I would not typically be hanging around with, but they were nice enough, right? And there really wasn't much for any of us to do, including them. So we hung out there. And Brenda and I attended these monthly club meetings. We often didn't have a ride, though. I mean, Bahrain, as strange as it was for me, it did allow, they did allow women to drive. I remember when I went to the Directorate of Driving Services, you know, their DMV, to get my driver's license, which really they just simply converted my U.S. one. But I had to wait, and the room was this big, huge open office space full of Arab guys typing away. It's kind of bizarre. And I wondered, what do the typewriters look like? I mean, they read from right to left over there. And I wondered, do the typewriters go opposite too? I mean, I suppose so, right? But at least the driving rules were similar to ours. They drive on the same side and all that. But the license itself was written all in Arabic, except for one phrase on the back that read, you will pull over for the emir and his followers. Like, okay, I guess I will. (laughs) What happens? So anyways, uh, women could also go to school. They could have a job. The Bahrainis allow other religions to be practiced there. And we could have alcohol, thankfully. So anyways, Al and I did own a beater car that he used, but he used it to go to work. I mean, it didn't have AC. The windows didn't even roll up. It was just basically an engine with wheels. But our friend Brian, a Navy friend, loaned us his motorcycle to go to one of our meetings. So Brenda and I strapped the helmets on. Away we went, you know. Uh, We definitely had helmet hair when we showed up to that one. We were so hot and sweaty. (laughs) 
And I'm not quite sure Bahrain women really had that much freedom back then, but we didn't get caught. So now, you know what? I was only on the island a week when Ramadan started. Now there's one. I mean, that's the holy month of fasting and prayer for Muslims, right? All new to me. But some of the rules impacted us too. Like there's no eating, drinking, or showing affection during daylight hours. Well, it was long, it, we, as long as we kept to ourselves, you know, kept your curtains closed, you go about your business just carefully. Well, after a couple of weeks together when Brenda was there, we wanted to go do something. I mean, it kind of cooped up and we wanted to do anything. Well, another Navy guy, Tom Miller, loaned us his big black Buick. Wow, that was a car. And it had air conditioning. It's pretty special. I mean, that was a big deal there. It was hot. So anyways, we went for a ride. And Bahrain is actually a bunch of small islands. The biggest one is 30 miles long and 10 miles wide. Not, not very big, really. So we decided, though, to drive over to the, the bridge to Mahara. And we came across a farmer's market type setup and some Bedouin tents. So we stopped to check it out. Boy, when we got out of that air-conditioned car, I felt like a cold can of beer, man. I mean, there were drops of condensation moisture immediately just stripping off me. Wow, hot and humid. Well, we walked around a little bit. Uh, there was a bunch of tables out, you know, kind of like you'd see at a flea market or a farmer's market here. But it was loud. I mean, the Arab men were yelling for you to buy their deal. and Plenty of women and men bargaining with them for the best price, I guess. I mean, it was all in Arabic, so I don't really know. But anyways, oh, and they don't have the same personal space in their culture as we do. So you kind of get bumped into a lot. And they don't say anything. It's really weird at first. Uh, but after a while, you do get used to it. Well, there was a lot of bumping and pushing around in that place that day, let me tell you. And the tables were covered with, like, all kinds of fruits, you know, like dates and coconuts. And they had veggies out, too. Uh, a lot of stuff I didn't really recognize. And tons of fish. Again, no air conditioning or refrigeration, just laid right out there in the tables. Flies everywhere. The place had so many smells. And not necessarily good ones. <laughs> and did I mention it was hot? <laughs> and when we saw the table of tongues and goat heads staring at me, I kind of had enough. Uh, let's get out of here, Brenda. I can use some water. So we drove to a small convenience store nearby. It was really packed with stuff. They're kind of common like that there. Um, but they had what we were looking for. You know, they had bottles of water and it was air conditioning. But you know what? Just as we walked in, there was one of those little chest freezers with ice creams in it, you know, with the sliding top. And although it was all written with uh, air in Arabic and everything, they were still recognizable. You know, things like popsicles and ice cream sandwiches and nutty buddy cones. I mean, I couldn't believe it. You know the ones, right? I mean, it's a cone with wicked fake vanilla ice cream and some melted but now frozen chocolate covering and nuts, right? Oh, man, I love these. So did Brenda. So we each bought one. It was very exciting. And we left the store in the air conditioning. And we got in the car and I peeled that paper from the ice cream and I started eating it. I just smiled inside too. You know, such a treat. It felt so good all over. Like all of a sudden I was a kid back home again for a minute. I mean, even back then when I was a kid, it was a big treat, right? But I mean, it quickly came back to reality because it immediately started melting. I, I, it's hot, remember? So and now it's like running down my fingers and everything. So 
Brenda and I are both frantically like licking it and everything now. But then it's like, oh no, Brenda, it's Ramadan. We're not supposed to be eating in public. We've been so excited. We forgot, sorry. And they really take this seriously. Like we could be arrested or the car could be wrecked. They could break to one. But this nutty buddy was so good. I mean, I couldn't bring myself to just throw it away. So I ended up laying on the floor of the back seat of the car. Brenda laid down in the front seat of the car. We finished our cones. I mean, it might seem crazy now, but really, there's nothing like risking your life and limb eating a nutty buddy ice cream during Ramadan with my new nutty buddy, Brenda. <laughs> that was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah um, you scared me there toward the end. I thought you were going to get caught, but um, it's it's good that you saved those nutty buddies by um, smartly taking it to the floor. <laughs> what a great contrast against tongues, goat heads, and flies. Oh. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Thanks for that story, Tina. <laughs> Plenty of good images. And now I think I'll go get an ice cream. Um, Amy, I guess you're going to pick it up from here. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. I'll step in here. I want to remind everyone that if questions have occurred to you for our tellers, now is a great time to put them into the chat. We also have some photos from, um, all of our tellers tonight that I'll be sharing with you. There is one question already in there that can, can kick us off here. Um, Nina wants to ask Bev a question. So Bev, here it is. Let's see, what did she say? She had a particular phrasing. She wants to know what dance is your favorite to cut a rug to? I like the swing. Um, I like to be twirled around and moving all over. And that was my favorite one because I think I, I really could get into it. And my father couldn't lead me as much as he wanted to in the swing. Wonderful. And why don't we then take a moment here. I'm going to pull out the picture that you sent us. Um, hold on. As you all know, screen share is a little slow, but... Um, you're going to recognize this, folks. This is from Beth's story. Bev, want to explain what that is? That's my father with his big smile standing next to his parents' graveyard. Um, it was Esther and Meyer Schwartz. And that's the day that he really wanted to go now that I realized he knew also deep inside he was not going to live much longer. Lovely. Thank you so much for sharing that. That is a beautiful photo. I love it. I know many folks in the chat, I, and well, Pat spoke to it and it came up in the chat. Many of us are thinking of our own parents and dads and can see see him or uh, some, or you know, our moms too in your story and in that photo. So thanks for sharing that. That's really, really lovely. Thank you. Yeah, let's see. Okay, so let's then, so I'm gonna pull up some photos. Let's start with this one. So we just heard Tina's really fun story. So just for those of you who weren't really sure what she meant, if you happen to be 
maybe a different generation, you're not sure what it is. Here it is. Here's the ice cream. Here, let me, I can make that a little bigger. The Nutty Buddy. Who remembers Nutty Buddies? Who's ever eaten a Nutty Buddy? I seem to remember it was my, my brother's favorite. I liked it too, but it was my brother's absolute favorite. So there it is. Let's see what other pictures she sent us. Oh, here's a fun one. Okay. So Tina, I'm going to bring up another picture and you can explain to us what we are looking at. Here we go. Okay. So that's Brenda and Bosco. They got married. That's my, you know, my then husband's best friend, Bosco, and my good nutty buddy, Brenda from Arkansas. Actually, I think this was a 50s, 60s dance that we had for something to do, you know. Nice. Is that what the scarf's about or? Yeah. Yeah. I've got a question for you, Tina. Do you still keep in touch or how, for how long were you friends with Brenda? Well, no, I didn't. We both left Bahrain and we really didn't keep in touch. That's the way the way of the military, I think, a lot. However, I did find Bosco again recently on uh, social media. So he's the same. I mean, he's the same cool guy. But they got divorced and uh, Brenda died in a terrible truck accident, I guess. So I, I did try to find her uh, after I told another story about her before because she was a really good friend. We went through a lot together. Very memorable. Wonderful people. That's too bad. It would have been great for you for us to hear about your reconnecting, but we're glad she lives on in your stories. That's really sweet. Not seeing any more questions yet, I don't think. I have a whole series of pictures here from our uh, storyteller, Kamisha. Let me just, Kamisha, want to unmute and start telling us about these pictures while I work on sure so um my siblings and i grew up until i was about eight years old we were all together and um there's 12 years between my oldest brother who is on the far right of this bottom picture stephen um i'm the small redhead down front <laughs> and um we're in we're in we're in actually an age order from right to left except for me in the front and it's my mom and dad up top. Um, uh, you, you can't, it's kind of hard to tell, but my mom is Native American. So um, she did not practice Catholicism and was kind of considered a heathen, for lack of better terminology, from my grandparents. They could not imagine my father marrying somebody outside the faith. So, um, yeah, so that's we were all together until I was eight, eight years old or so. And then my parents um, split. So, and there are my three brothers who were, who were very much in charge of, of looking out for the girls. Um, my, my brother, Steve, and my brother, Bill were altar boys. My brother, Mark, for some reason, we think he didn't become an altar boy because he was so involved in sports. Um, and that's another picture of my brother, Bill. Um, actually, we were all going to my sister, Nidra's first communion. So I think there's a picture there. Yeah, there she is. <laughs> that was at my sister's first communion. And I inherited that dress from her um, when it came time to have my first communion. And that's when I was finally old enough to really go to mass and understand what was going on. And I was trying to make my case for becoming an altar girl. 
I think I'm about seven years old there. Adorable. Oh my God. Um, well, that's really cool. And I, I love that you got to do that. I was, uh, I grew up in St. Par- uh, Bridget's Parish, also outside of Boston. And uh, my brother was an altar boy, but we never got the pilot program for altar girls. Though, to be honest, I was so shy. I don't know that I ever would have taken that step. I, it, I was not itching <laughs> to get up on that altar. Uh, instead, I actually, one of my first jobs, paid jobs ever, was cooking at the rectory for the priests. So um, I, I uh, did the more female thing, I guess. It was all girls cooking, all girls. Yeah, cooking. I, I don't think I don't think I ever understood what really understood the mass till I was much older and was not being an altar girl anymore. But I didn't care because all I wanted was to get my hand on those bells. That was it. And I accomplished that goal. <laughs> Good for you. I love it. Just love it. Um, totally unaware that women were not allowed. It was something so foreign to me that, you know, I wasn't even in that mindset as a child to understand that there were so many restrictions for women at the time, not only in the church, but elsewhere, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're, yeah. And I, I think for me and my Irish family, uh, despite the many restrictions, in many places, women were really the the, the go-getters of the family, let's say. <laughs> Ireland is not as uh, restrictive of women, generally speaking. So we're, we're kind of powerful in that culture. So, you know, again, I grew up in St. Bridget's Parish, Bridget also being one of the original goddesses of Ireland. So anyway, we're going right. to have to talk more about that another time. That's right. <laughs> we're going to check the chat, see what else folks Lots of people who were happy and loved it and definitely related. Um, who else here grew up in a Catholic church and remembers all those things that Kamisha? Okay, a few of us. My parents had a mixed marriage, but it was um, they were both Catholic. My mother was Irish. My father was, well, Italian. He was actually Sicilian slash Mediterranean. Um, but the one thing they really had in common was their religion. Um, that said he couldn't really be dragged kicking or screaming to church. So, um, I mean, are you sure your father wanted to go to church? Is this like his way of getting out of it to marry your mom? (laughs) (laughs) We'll never know. I never asked that question, but, uh, yeah, I think out of all of us, I don't think any of us attend any longer. I think we are our spiritual people and we, we really love the rituals, but, we've all grown up in our own different belief systems. So, um, but yeah, yeah. My grandmother was uh, not only my CCD teacher, but she was also the organist at her parish, St. George's in Somerville. And we also had my, my grandfather, my dad's father, my great aunt, sister, Mary, Justin. She was a nun from the Dominican, um, uh, Dominican order of nuns. So there's a lot of religion around. Yeah, cool. Well, that's interesting. I am long since uh, become a, a, well, I used to call it a recovering Catholic. At this point, what I realize is what I am is ethnically Catholic. The religion doesn't, say, but I'm a Catholic in a lot of ways. <laughs> I see that now. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. So we're going to be wrapping up now. I want to thank 
all of you for coming for these wonderful stories tonight for getting us back into our um you know out of our summer hiatus back to storytelling here and soon we're going to move to our after story conversation segment that in which David is going to be interviewing Beverly specifically for 15 minutes. But first, I have some information for you. Our next TTL Zoom show is on Tuesday, October 25th, 7 p.m. with a theme of oops. Go to truetaleslivenh.org to find a link to register. Or to, and to let us know if you want to tell a story. We have room for more tellers for all of our fall 2022 shows. That's October 25th, Oops, November 29th, Silver Linings, and December 27th, Winter's Coming. All of these shows will be on Zoom, we've decided. Also, the dates and themes for 2023 are posted on our website, I believe, or they will be soon. John and I are talking about that. Um, we also encourage you to attend, if you want to be a storyteller, to attend one of our monthly Zoom workshops that are generally on the first Tuesdays from 7 to 8.30 p.m. The next one is actually on the second Tuesday of November the 8th. Contact us at info at truetaleslivenh.org to become a teller and to find out more and see truetaleslivenh.org for links to register for the workshops as well as the show. Watch us on PPM TV, that's Portsmouth Public Media TV, Comcast Channel 98, Tuesdays and Thursdays at 8 p.m. and Saturdays at 1 p.m. and anytime as video on demand or a podcast. Go to truetaleslivenh.org to access all of these very easily. Let's thank a few of those who make this show possible. John Lovering, Kat Spaulding, David Frainer, Sarah Beddingfield, Sam Adams, Kamisha Foley, Tom Osberg, Tina Charpentier, and myself. I'm Amy Antonucci. And before we move to the backstory interview, please join us for just one minute, literally 60 seconds of movement and fun with our True Tales dance party. This is a Zoom tradition that we, some of us at least, love. We have a great time with it. It shakes off the, the Zoom cobwebs before we can, so we can give our full attention to the interview. Um, so John, um, you, can you get that going for us? At least, you know, do it. Even if it's just a little head move, we, we, we love those. But you can also switch to gallery view to see everyone. And if you want, some of us are going to stand up and really rock out. There goes Pat getting ready. I'll stand up too. Go. Come on. 